Hello, everyone. Welcome to the very first episode of the Articulate podcast, where we talk about the best news for Web3, NFTs, and fine art. My name is Michael, and I'm with my co-host, Monica. Hi, everyone. I'm Monica. It's great to be here. And I always love talking about the latest in crypto. I feel like sometimes there's so much news, like one day is like 10 years worth of things just happening. I know. And it's like, I feel like every day I sign on to Twitter and there's like some kind of new big story or a new big drop that I just like, I have no idea about it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, even this one, this first big story that I'm going to talk about, I had no idea until someone in our company, like posted it in our company Slack channel. Like I, I had no clue. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, we can get right into it. If, uh, if that's cool with you. Yep. Sounds good. Awesome. So this first big story, like we just got to talk about this. So there is this anonymous artist named Pack. They have a pretty extensive background. They've been in the space since about 2014. And one of the first big things that they did was they created this basically an art mood bot called Archelect. Now, I have followed this account on and off for like probably like five or six years. Like I've known about it for a long time. It's always been really good. And I've, I've never had any idea like who created it. Like turns out it was, it was this person. So they've got about 2.8 million followers, kind of a big deal. Um, and then PAC has done a lot of really interesting stuff. Like they've, they've created uh, an NFT collection to raise funds for Julian Assange, like thousands of dollars worth. I mean, they, they have had a really good run as an artist, very successful. Now, recently, they had a really big drop. And they, what they did was they partnered with about 30 artists, you know, some pretty big names too, uh, to create an NFT collection. And this was actually part of one of their bigger projects called Burn.Art. So the idea behind this is that they will, it, it works with this token, right? So they've got this ERC20 token called Ash, and you can burn your NFT regardless of what it is. And that NFT can be, once you burn it, you can turn it into ash, this ERC-20. So with that being said, they've got these two chapters of artworks going on on burn.art. So the first one was carbon. And it was a whole bunch of these different cubes. And I mean, if you look at the artwork, it is phenomenal. It is great stuff, right? Top tier. And this chapter two was called Metamorphosis. And it was based on the short story by, by uh, <laughs> sorry, voice cracked. Um, it was uh, based on the short story by Franz Kafka. And that, that story was great. I always had a hard time reading some of those like old, you know, anything written like before like 1950. I mean, I just, I can't get through it. This is like the one exception. That story. So I, I love that. You know, it's one of my favorites. But this, what this drop was, was planned to be was, was a bringing together of all these really unique artists. So they got like Paris Hilton, they got Pussy Riot, who I don't, I mean, it's the name of their band. They're like artistic, they're a feminist group from Russia and they're like pretty notorious in Russia, but they're pretty famous and like respected outside of Russia. You know, pretty big deal. And then they've got, they have also partnered with like Dead Fellas NFT project, which is like a pretty prominent NFT project. And like a whole bunch of other names, right? Where we won't, there's like 30 of them and pr pretty big stuff. So they all came together and they created these artworks. And it was all supposed to be some kind of play on metamorphosis, right? This idea of change. And it all related back to this story by Franz Kafka. Well, the company, Monica, have you ever heard of Manifold? I have, yes. Yeah, so so Manifold is this, it's basically like a company that helps people create their own NFTs, right? There's and there's a lot of these kinds of platforms, um, mm -hmm. including LiveArtX. We, you know, that's something that we offer as well. So in in a weird way, they are kind of our competitors, but like not really, because we do a lot more than just that. But what Manifold did was they built 
the website and, and the, all the smart contracts to, to basically build this launch, right? So this, so this big chapter two, all of it was done by Manifold. Well, it was set to launch on March 28th, which is like at the time of recording was like yesterday. Well, there were some pretty big issues. They had major flaws in their smart contracts and the source code generally was, was just buggy. I was actually reading through some of the replies in the comments and there was, you know, there were people with differing ranges of, of losses, right? So mo- most of it being due to gas. So they would pay all these, like these crazy gas fees to get the NFTs and like they, it, they would pay all this gas and not get the NFT. Some, like a lot of the supply was taken by bots. I saw one guy, he lost like 0.8 ETH just trying to claim this NFT, which is an insane amount of ETH. I mean, that is almost a full ETH. I mean, you could, for that much, I mean, I'm pretty sure you could deploy your own smart contract for that, right? That's just so much. Yeah, that is a lot in gas. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and, and I'm over here sweating over like a hundred dollar gas fee. Like, I mean, what is that? Like twenty five hundred dollars? I'm like, that's that's a lot for gas. Yeah. Um, but you know, so there there were issues with with the gas. There were issues with bots. Like somehow bots purchased like six percent of the total supply. There were all kinds of problems with the metadata. The pages wouldn't load for some people. So. So it was kind of a big fumble. It was pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, that was that was my app telling me to get up, but I'm not going to because it's it's fun talking about NFTs. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So you know, it was just a big fumble, and everyone was freaking out. People were really upset, like understandably, right? To their credit, Manifold did absolutely everything they could to rectify the situation and trying to make it right. So there were a few things they did here. So number one, they redeployed their smart contract with fixed code. At least we would all expect the code to be fixed second time around. (laughs) You know, got to double check. Um, They refunded the lost gas. And for the top wallet addresses, in terms of ETH, those people are going to be receiving an additional token. So they're going to get like another artwork on top of... um, the gas uh, refund. So, you know, there's that. So like they did everything that could, right? I mean, and, and I think that's one of those situations where you really need to have some sympathy for the developers because I know, and I've known people who have had projects that they work on get compromised and hacked and there is no worse feeling in the world than being the developer that you know right, wrote buggy code and people lost a lot of money. I mean, that is the most stressful, worst feeling ever. Yeah, I can't even imagine. Yeah, I mean, just you know, if you especially when you start tallying up how much in total went into this, I mean, we're talking tens of thousands of dollars, right? I mean, no one feels worse than you know, whoever didn't double check their code. So, so that, that was kind of a big issue. Um, but at the same time, it, it kind of makes you think, right? This was probably one of those really big projects and everyone's super stressed out about it, especially the developers. And when you put hard deadlines on stuff like this, what ends up happening is that you do it, but you don't do it right. Mm-hmm. So I think generally when it, whenever it comes to solidity and smart contracts and anything where you are going to push this code and it's going to manage people's money, it is so important to make sure that, you know, dot your I's, cross your T's, do everything in your power to make sure a thousand percent that everything is good to go. Even if it means pushing back a deadline that makes everyone really mad. Yeah, I I do agree with that, Michael. I think better to have it done correctly than to just push something out that might have a lot of flaws. Yeah, and and that's what I really like about the Ethereum team generally, right? I mean, you got to think how much value is in 
Ethereum as an ecosystem and then everything built on top of it. I mean, I personally know like if Ethereum just suddenly went down tomorrow, like there are some people I know that would be like ruined. So when the when the core Ethereum team makes changes, I mean, they don't even really give you like a rough estimate. They're like, you know, we're these changes, they're going to happen one day, but we're going to do it right. And I think that is right. so much more important than doing it, you know, by XYZ time, right? Yeah, I completely agree. And one of the things I actually really like about being at LiveArtX is that we, I mean, no one's happy, right? I, like I've known the leadership team, people aren't happy about pushing back deadlines, but if it means making sure that our code is like secure and audited, they are a hundred percent for that. And, you know, actually with our membership launch, right? When we launched these memberships, originally we were shooting for like a month earlier than and what actually happened. Because the thing is, we just wanted to take the extra precautions. We didn't want to push something out there that had the possibility of, of being flawed if we if we could help it. So that's something I like about our team here. You know, I know not every company or team is like that, but I like to praise it where, where it exists, right? <laughs> right, absolutely. Well, you know, I do think it's important for teams to recognize when something is ready and when something isn't. Um, you know, sometimes it's, when you have your roadmaps, it's better to kind of have general, sort of like general timeframes and goals as opposed to hard, fast, like dates and exact times, because, you know, there, there will be times when things aren't ready and it, it will have to be pushed back. People don't like that, but I think as we kind of see time and time again in Web3 and with certain Web3 projects, sometimes putting something off for a little bit longer is really worth it in the end. It's interesting because it kind of ties into something that happened this week. Some people are saying it's like one of the biggest exploits to date. Um, I don't know if that's completely true, but it's sure up there. So Axie Infinity, the game. That's right. Yeah. This was like the second biggest one ever, actually. I, I saw a chart. Okay. So sec what was the biggest one? Oh, it was uh, something called Poly Network. Oh, okay. And theirs was only more by like, like a little bit. <laughs> so this one was 625 million in the exploit, which is crazy um there was some sort of exploit with the signatures and i have to admit like when i hear about these hacker attacks it's always really interesting to me and you know some of these hackers i mean we don't know they could be a team of hackers they could be multiple like we don't really know um but i do always find it really interesting when there is you know a pretty big team working on a project for a really long time because Axie Infinity has been around for a, like from what I remember one of the original like one of the original games a lot of people investing in it and so when something like this happens to to a company that is just so well known it's it's kind of shocking um it's also you know, it's it's unfortunate because we do see these happen kind of, you know, I, I would say with more frequency than what is ideal, right? I mean, who knows, maybe early on Google suffered multiple different attacks and Facebook, um, you know, all these like really big tech companies. So maybe this is actually something that just happened when something is new, but but, but you know what, that's like different though. Cause like when it comes to those, it's like, it's not like hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars, yeah. right? Like with crypto, it's like, you know, it's like, oh, there go my life savings. Oh gosh, it's unbelievable the amount of money. I think the other one that happened recently was Wormhole. It was like a, a side chain, I want to say. I'm not sure exactly, but no, it was a bridge. Anyways, 
Yeah, yeah, bridges are vulnerable. Well, this happened, I think it was on the Ronin Bridge, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because I've noticed that it always has to do with signatures. So like what happened with Axie Infinity and Wormhole, they were signature exploits. Um, So people are able to kind of falsify the signatures. And, you know, one of the things that really makes crypto secure because it's trustless. So you don't need that middleman to confirm transactions or hold the money. Um, but yeah, I think bridges can can be a little a little questionable at times because I think the wormhole exploit was around 300 million and then it was crazy because you saw the the hacker showing up saying like it was so easy, blah blah blah. so not not ideal. Yeah, I, I don't know if you've seen this one guy on Twitter. His name is like Mr. O and he's like Mr. Like Zero Chill. And he's basically been harassing and making fun of OpenSea because so so we don't know. Right. But he says that he found like some kind of security exploit in OpenSea's code and he's not exploiting it himself like he wants the industry to be better. But one of the problems he's pointed out is that he's reached out to OpenSea and they only offered him $25,000 for him to basically give them, give them the bug, right? Let them know what the problem is. And that's only if they do KYC because he's completely anon. So a hundred percent anonymous. He doesn't want people to know who he is and I can't blame him. Like, honestly, if I had a do-over, I would definitely have gone the anon route, but I mean, here I am, I'm docs. You guys know me, right? <laughs> uh, but you know, this guy was really, really smart. And he makes a really interesting point about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. You know, actually being honest and being a white hat hacker and, and like using your knowledge for good. I mean, he's he'll only get 25 grand out of that. Whereas, I mean, there are people that are offering him a hundred X what what OpenSea is. You know, people that are like malicious that want to use it to exploit and steal NFTs and steal people's crypto. So, you know, there's like a really strong market incentive for people to basically exploit these things. And I think it just, it goes to show like, if you want people to not hack your stuff and steal your users money, Mm -hmm. you need to make it like financially profitable to be a white hat hacker and you know not let them get tempted by by money from nefarious people right i do i agree with that wasn't it coinbase they offered around 200 grand and someone found an exploit worth i don't remember what it was millions and millions um and they offered like 200 grand or something and everyone on twitter was like criticizing coinbase like how could you offer such a small, oh gosh, sorry. Not ours. Like, how could you offer such a small bounty when this person technically could have hacked millions and millions and millions of dollars? You're going to give them a couple hundred grand. I mean, look, a couple hundred grand, it's not choke change, but is it, is that the right thing to do? Like when you are a multi-million dollar company or even billion dollar company oh yeah billion you know like is it right to offer a couple hundred grand in a bounty when someone could easily exploit your platform for millions and millions of dollars I don't know I personally side with what people on Twitter said like at at least up the ante give the guy a million dollars something you know but I mean I'm not Coinbase so (laughs) Yeah. And I think another part of it is that it's so hard to justify it. I mean, you have to imagine, you know, being the person that has to pitch your company's leadership and be saying, listen, this person says that they've got an exploit. I've asked them for, you know, the code for for them to show us the bug, but they want $600,000 or, you know, like some ungodly amount of money like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it would be like a really hard sell as as much as I disagree with like the companies that like, you know, it it is chump change in terms of how much damage could have been done. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like 
it's just one of those things where companies are either going to learn and they're going to act on what's going on here, or they're just going to continue getting dunked on by, <laughs> by people that can find security exploits. Like there's no other way to put it. Yeah. yeah. Especially yeah. like, I mean, you just have to think if you got like spent like a year or two getting really good at hacking and like finding security holes and, you know, that whole skill set. I mean, if you could just find one and then steal a million dollars and in most, you know, cases, you can probably steal a lot more than a million dollars. I mean, you're done. Like you, you don't have to work again, right? Like it paid off. Yeah. Oh, it's <laughs> thought about that too. It's, you know, let's be real. These people that do those types of things. Yeah. It's not right. It's not your money. You have no right to just take it. But on the other hand, like it's easy money. If you, it's almost like, I'm sure some of them are like, you know, what? if you have a breach in your security, then you deserve to get hacked. Like, I'm sure that some of them think that way. And you're right to your point. Like, okay, Let's talk about Axie Infinity, 200, 200, 600 million dollars, 600 million dollars. That person will, or, or a group of people, they are set for life. They will never have to work a day in their life. It took a little bit of time on their end and they're done. And really good chance that they'll never get caught because we're talking about crypto here and you know, I don't know if there's any KYCs involved. I mean, who knows? But I know with uh, Wormhole, they offered 10 million. I, I believe it was 10 million in, in the bounty for them to come forward when they had just hacked 300 million. So they hacked 300 million and they're being offered 10 million to get the money back. Like it just doesn't compute. Like I think the good thing though, is that with wormhole situation, they got the money back and they were able to get everyone's wallets like they they made up for what happened. So in the end, no one actually lost. And then the hacker got to keep the 300 million. So maybe we could call that a win-win. I don't know. but Yeah, there's definitely a difference between do you know hacking and exploiting like one of these bigger organizations where like i mean they could eat a hundred two hundred million dollar loss and be okay right like nothing fundamentally changes in a lot of those cases but i mean you do that to someone that's like you know if you like you know some random crypto person or nft trader i mean you know you you steal 30, 40, $50,000 worth of crypto and NFTs from someone like they might not recover from that. That might be everything that they've got. True. So like, I see it as less evil, although that doesn't make it, I mean, it doesn't make it okay, obviously, but I guess that's just the morality behind it. You know, you kind of got to think about the real world equivalent too. I mean, if you had a million dollars, you know, in your bank, right? Like you got a small town bank and you, you put it all and it's like not secure. Like you can just walk in and take this stuff. I mean, like, would you be that surprised if someone did exactly that? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah abs- I agreed. I totally agree. And that's a really good, like trend, a really good comparison. Like if someone was like, oh, I could easily rob that bank. Like they, they would, like they would. And shame on us if we don't think it's possible. <laughs> All right. Um, do you want me to talk about Looks Rare? Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. This was such an interesting deep dive because the more I learned about it, like I just wanted to read more and more. Like I read so many Twitter threads and articles about this. Okay. This is such a cool story for crypto and Web3 because it's, it's one of these crazy things that like it couldn't happen in any other industry. Like this couldn't happen in, in SaaS. This couldn't happen really anywhere else. So right here, we've got someone that's an anonymous founder pushing unaudited code and challenging an industry leader like within a few weeks. And it is just so insane. And I love that. 
uh, I do feel the need to point out, like they have been audited now, you know, they're not unaudited anymore, but when they first launched, they weren't. So, so what am I talking about here? So this is looks rare. It is a competitor to OpenSea, basically trying to, to be the next OpenSea by offering better incentives. And this actually led me down a rabbit hole of studying what vampire attacks are, because this is basically what they did to OpenSea. So what is a vampire attack? It's basically a strategy that you as a market competitor use to try to steal users away from you know, your main competitors, you know the big, the big industry leaders. So I read this Coinbase article and I liked the way they broke it down. So they say that there are three steps to, to pulling off a successful vampire attack. So step number one, you identify the industry leader. So you know who it is. For them, it was OpenSea. Then what you do is you build a competitive platform. So they built looks rare in, you know, they wrote their own code. Uh, so they say at least, right? I, as far as I know, they don't have a public GitHub repository. So we don't actually know, but they say that they've got their own code and it's secure. So they built this competitor platform and then they offer better incentives and their better incentives are really a lot better. I mean, if you look at it on paper, it's like, wow, why would anyone ever use OpenSea again? Like it's kind of one of those things. Now, before we get into like the, all the little details and how they worked at the tokenomics and all that, it's worth noting the one big previous example of a vampire attack. And this actually was SushiSwap versus Uniswap. So Uniswap, was originally created by Hayden Adams. He, and that guy's story is great. Monica, do you know that one? I do not actually. Oh my God. Okay. This is, a, I'm sorry for the tangent, but we, I, I just, I love talking about this guy because he is such an inspiration. Mm -hmm. So Hayden Adams was, you know, he lived in New York and he was working, I think it's like an electrical engineer, like something like that. And one day, like, you know, he just got into crypto. He's like, yo, I love this stuff. And I forget what happened. Um, I think he lost his job or like maybe he quit, but he had enough crypto money where he could basically like pay his living expenses for like a few years and be okay. So he was like, okay, I'm just going to chill for a little while and, and see what I can do. And then he went down the crypto rabbit hole and just like got completely immersed. I mean, he became like, you know, Looney Tunes for crypto and, you know, kind of like we all do, right? <laughs> So what he ended up doing was he, he was reading all this uh, content from Vitalik Buterin. And there was one post in particular that Vitalik Buterin had written. And it was, it's very complex and I don't even remember what it was, but it was a Reddit comment where he basically described the mathematical possibility of an automated market maker where people would be able to trade cryptocurrency in a decentralized way by, by incentivizing other people to provide liquidity. Hayden Adams read this comment and he was like, oh my God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this happen. And then he went and he, like no coding experience ever before. And he just built Uniswap. I mean, like that. <laughs> and that, that is so insane to think about. So he's like a total newcomer, never coded a day before in his life. And in, like, in a few months, he's building software that is literally changing the industry. And that's kind of the backstory of Uniswap. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's really cool. I didn't know yeah. that at all. Yeah, it is. It is amazing. He had the, like he had all the details on his website and like you know kind of talking about his backstory and you know he told he he wrote this one thing about going to one of those crypto conferences and he, he didn't he couldn't even afford a ticket to get in like he just showed up and hoped that no one has <laughs> him for a ticket like the dude is a madman. I love him. Um, but, uh, so Uniswap was the big, you know, they're like, they were the, basically the first real decentralized exchange Yeah. and, and then SushiSwap came around and what they did was they basically copied the code like verbatim. Like it was like a one-to-one -one carbon copy, but what SushiSwap Sushi did was they built this tokenomics layer on top of it. So in like just a matter of a few days, all like not all, but like 
it was like, I think it was like two thirds of all liquidity on Uniswap left to go to SushiSwap because, mm-hmm. you know, why would you stay on Uniswap when you could actually earn more and earn an incentive token for switching over to SushiSwap? Mm-hmm. So this was like the big OG vampire attack that everyone knows about. And it's like, it's just crazy. Now, the important thing to keep in mind is that it did not work because eventually, you know, Hayden Adams and, and the people at Uniswap eventually realized that like, okay, if we're going to compete on in the free market, we're going to have to launch our own token. And, and that's where the Uniswap token came from, which today functions as like a governance token uh, for the protocol and whatnot. Um, and it, it's also important to point out that as much as that is like probably like the big example that everyone talks about for vampire attacks, it did not succeed. So as of today, I mean, they're both still solvent and they're both still liquid, but right now Uniswap is sitting at a 5.1 billion TVL or total value locked, which it's, think of that as like the total amount of value locked up in the ecosystem itself. So there's that. And then SushiSwap only has about 2 billion TVL. So, you know, they still, like, I mean, they, they made a lot of noise. They, they changed, if not for them, Uniswap may not have had a governance token until a later time. I'm sure that eventually someone would have pulled this, right? Because any Web3 platform that doesn't have this tokenomics governance layer on top of it, if, if they don't have that, someone will come and make it. You know, so if you're looking to build a platform, you need to have a governance token and a DAO. Mm-hmm. Keep that in mind. <laughs> All right. So, so this actually shows how strong the, the tokenomics layer can, can really incentivize people. So what Looks Rare did was they launched their own talk token, Looks, and it, it launched in early January. And what they did was they airdropped these Looks token, tokens to anyone with three Ethereum of trading volume in the previous six months. So in order to claim though, the only way you could get these tokens is if you listed an NFT on Looks Rare. So this was like the smartest marketing strategy because you're going to attract all the people that are these big time NFT traders and collectors. And, oh, you're going to get free stuff. But the only way you get the, the free stuff is if you list an NFT on our platform. And it worked in like, it was less than two weeks and they had a billion dollar market cap on the looks token. I mean, a billion dollars of value in like 10 days. I mean, that is insane. Mm -hmm. What they ended up doing was, uh, they also had some other incentives like, right, worth mentioning. So they had a lower fee. So instead of the 2.5%, on OpenSea, you get 2% on Looks Rare. Every time you make a trade on Looks Rare, you earn Looks tokens. And if that isn't enough to get you, the coolest thing is that you can stake your Looks tokens and you can earn all those tokens that people are paying in trading fees. So all that goes and it's distributed to the people staking Looks tokens. And, and at the time of recording, it's something like, 300% APR. And again, this is not financial advice. I'm not telling you to buy looks tokens. In fact, they, in some ways you could argue that they are one of our competitors. So, you know, like I'm not promoting them. I'm not, you know, I'm not telling you to, to do anything. I'm just, we're just exploring for an educational purpose, right? Now, one of the big criticisms though, is that they have a lot of wash trading. Uh, Monica, do you know what do you know what wash trading is? I don't. I'm about to learn something new. Uh, the worst slash best part of the day. Right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So wash trading is essentially like fake trading volume that goes on on these platforms. And it's essentially where people can like sell their stuff to themselves. And it looks like there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot more trading volume, but you know, it's not, true. It's not real. It's not really changing hands in any significant way. So like one of the examples is that, you know, there is one guy, there's like someone that owns a me bit, which I think it's worth something like seven or eight ETH. And 
it's just been going back and forth between two wallet addresses like a thousand times. And mm. so like, I mean, that's not real volume. I mean, it looks like it is, but I mean, it's not real. Now, the reason they do that is because these, you know, for trading on looks rare, they are earning looks tokens, right? Mm-hmm. So, so it kind of works out. But if you look at the tokenomics, it, it, it works out to being roughly equivalent to just buying looks rare tokens, like with ETH. So if you were to just go and buy it on the market, like buy those tokens directly instead of trading, like you, it would, it basically works out to being the same amount. So it, it depends though. Like sometimes there, you know, the liquidity is higher. There are other times the price changes. People do it. I, they're making some profit on it. I don't know how much, right? It's impossible to say. I don't know anyone that's actually doing this, but it, it's safe to say that there's a lot of wash trading going on on uh, Looks Rare. Now, according to Crypto Slam, it's an estimated eight billion dollars of wash trading. And that's out of $9 billion in trading volume, uh, at least in January, as of January. That sounds pretty bad, right? Like yeah. $8, $8 billion out of $9 billion. But even if you just took the $1 billion in trading volume, that still is in one month, that is more trading volume than all these other NFT marketplaces combined, excluding OpenSea. So if you take OpenSea out of it, you know, you can combine super rare and rareable and makers down and all these other platforms and all the trading volume that they had in all of 2021, still not what looks rare has in January of this year in one month. That's pretty wild. So I've been looking at their token. Uh, it, it looks like it bottomed out. It looks it looks like it bottomed out at about uh, just under like $1 a few weeks ago. And it's been like staying stable, right? Um, it is important, you know, again, keep in mind, this is not a, uh, you know, they don't have a public GitHub repo. We don't, we don't know what these smart contracts look like. They could have a bug in their code, right? And, and like we've been talking about before, I mean, we just don't know, right? Wouldn't it stink to like get super excited about this? You're trading on this platform all the time. And it turns out that there's a security bug there. You know, if that other guy on Twitter is right, I mean, there's a security bug on OpenSea too. So where do you go? Right. I'll tell you where you go. You go to LiveRx, the, the best. <laughs> yeah. No, no, we're not that shameless. We're not, that, we are secure though. We do have, um, our development team is, is, I, I can say nothing but good things about them because everything is so secure. There are some security concerns. And again, this is not financial advice. You know, it, it, it is an interesting, an interesting case study though. So some of my takeaways, I am happy to see a project that is truly crypto native, right? Like you got an Anon founder and you, like, and this is just some random degenerate, probably chilling in his mom's basement, you know, and he's, he's hey, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to change the NFT industry forever. <laughs> I'm going to take on the big dog and do it in my underwear in my mom's basement. Like, I love that. Yeah. And then also, I think there's this element of a lot of dislike of OpenSea. And I, I've seen this a lot because OpenSea is kind of like Facebook. Mm-hmm. They've got, you know, they're, they're one of the first people to, to really take on the market, to really define the industry and, and what it is. But there's just something about it that people don't like to use it. Mm-hmm. The, the OpenSea team has pretty openly stated that they're not going to have a governance token. They are pretty much just going to follow the corporate stock model, which means that all the people that make money for OpenSea, the people that actually trade NFTs, they're not going to make money from that. The people, you know, the higher ups in the company are, right? The people that own the stock. So it's kind of disheartening to see that, especially when, you know, the entire idea behind this movement is that we're going to give power back to the users, right? So it it breaks my heart a little bit. It it really does. But I think it also shows how important uh, a governance token is. If you want your project to matter, you need to offer your community power over it and ownership. 
Because otherwise, like, who cares, right? I mean, you just have to imagine if someone, when, when someone gets the tech right to do this with like Web2 social media platforms, I mean, just imagine how much better like Facebook would be if you can just like slap tokenomics on top of it and a governance structure and, and a DAO. I mean, I mean, you change the game right there, right? Like no one would ever use Facebook again. And, you know, and that's actually one of the things that I really like about Live RDX too, because there are a company here, you know, I, w- I came on board a few months ago and this was even before we had anything, right? And it was just an idea when I first came on board. But one of the things that I saw, you know, it was in the pitch deck. It was in a lot of our, you know, information. We were going to have a, a governance token and we were going to have a DAO. And for me, when I saw that and I saw like the team behind it, I was like, you know what? I'm in. Like I interviewed a lot of places, but th- this was the one place that I saw that was, you know, going to have like a newly launched DAO. I mean, I remember reading one thing that like, you know, we're going to even allow people to, uh, you know, DAO members to vote on making changes to our company roadmap. So like we are going on the extreme end of letting people control our product and platform. And I, I love that. That, that 100% lines up with, with everything I believe in. Right. I agree. I think, especially with the way that things are going, DAOs are really growing. There's more DAOs now than there ever have been. And it's just, the number's just going to keep growing. And um, having those, those kinds of elements in an organization is really, really important for sure. So I will tell you one thing that's not going to be a DAO, and that is the Federal Reserve just recently started marketing their cryptocurrency, their CBDC, so their central bank digital currency. Um, It looks like they're starting to market it, really put it out there. So yesterday, uh, they just posted this on their Twitter, and... um, you know, I went through and I read some of the comments and I will say (laughs) there's a lot of distrust for, for what they're doing. The biggest thing is that it's not decentralized. It is very centralized. So it will be controlled by the Fed Reserve. Um, And, you know, everything that's happening with the dollar, all of the spending and everything like that, we all know around the world that the dollar is steadily, steadily like losing its, its power. And um, I think it was Russia just somehow like China just basically helped Russia to be able to have access to their banks uh, because now Russia has been sanctioned and kind of cut off from the rest of the world. And so you know, what this is doing, it's just kind of playing on how it's affecting the U.S. dollar and its world reserve currency status. I know in Brazil at one point it was like $1 is equal to five payice, which is like the currency in Brazil. It's now four. So the value. Wait, wait. Of- mm-hmm. wait what is it? Five heras? Payice. Heyao. The heyao is one oh. singular and then plural is heyais. <laughs> Oh, wow. I've never heard of that. Yeah. The Brazilian hail. Yeah. I, I always thought it would be like a peso. Like I know like they do like the Argentinian peso. Uh, maybe that's more Spanish speaking countries that have pesos. Yeah. I'm not sure. I know Mexico yeah, I has pesos. Yeah, they do. Yeah. So, um, and this just happened. It was five, five dollars and 70 or dollars. No, five, five five hay ice and then 70 cents type thing for one US dollar. It's all the way down to fours and some change. So four hay ice and whatever, um, which is really drastic. I mean, that's a huge devaluation in the US dollar. Um, So there's a lot of implications for the Federal Reserve having their own currency, digital currency, um, and it being centralized. So I did want to kind of talk about some of the comments and, you know, that we're on, that's, that's on the Twitter. So um, we see 
people saying CBDC, which is the central bank digital currency, is benefits of, of the government having power, whereas Bitcoin is benefits for the people. Um, yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, I just don't think that there is a good scenario where humans can control money and like they don't abuse that power. Right. I mean, I just know from my own personal experience, like if I could somehow control the central bank digital currency, I'm going to put like a gazillion dollars in my own account. And, you know, if everyone else suffers from inflation, well, that's their problem. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Someone on here is actually saying CBDC will enable uh, control. So think of food stamps on steroids, scary stuff. Um, Someone said the Federal Reserve is the problem. They're not federal. There's no reserves. (laughs) It's a bunch of debt. Um, It looks like there's someone here saying benefits for the Fed and the government track all spending, control how and when people use their money. Talk about censorship. Uh, Some people are saying choose wisely, choose Bitcoin, obviously. Um, Another person saying surveillance disguised as money. Yeah, I think that's another big angle, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like even on, you know, your crypto wallet address, right? If you use Ethereum and you're, you know, buying NFTs and all that, I mean, that is public data. That's, I mean, that's a public ledger. Anyone can see it and do what they want with it. I mean, you got, you know, this is why I, I strongly recommend anyone as much as you want to flex on how much crypto you have, and, and I, I know the urge, we all want to, but you got to resist the temptation because if people can like look at your .eth name and they're like, oh, wow, this guy has uh, X gazillion dollars. Let me see if I can steal his crypto. Like you just put a big red target on your back. I mean, I remember reading this thread and there was this guy on Twitter and he Oh, I wish I knew his name. I know he owned like this cute little like animal NFT profile picture, you know, like, like us all, but he had a Dottie name. And, and then if you went to his wallet address, he had like $120 million of crypto. I mean, just ungodly amounts of ETH. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then he, he wrote this thread about all these ways that these hackers tried to, to, you know, basically steal his wallet. Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, it was really elaborate. It was like, you know, they, they pretended to be people from another NFT project. They like fake, like they volunteered to work for his DAO to like become his friend. And like, they did some, like, it was like some weird stuff. It was like something to do with like physical engineering. Like, I don't know what kind of DAO it was, but I mean, it's something like that. And like, they made real plans and like, they made real contributions. And then like, they, you know, the day came to try to steal his crypto wallet. And, you know, he lucked out because he identified it as a red flag, but, Mm -hmm. you know, one wrong click and he could have been out a hundred million dollars in ETH. I mean, oh my God. I I just cannot even imagine. And I believe it. I think you have people contributing, building things with you, like investing a lot of time. It, It seems legit. And then the goal is to steal your wallet, which is crazy. Yeah. And because everything is like, you know, everyone is, you know, can be anonymous. I mean, we could all make an alter ego online. Yeah. And it's just so easy. I mean, even, you know, I'm pretty sure if you were like a bad person, you wouldn't even have to know how to like write a malicious smart contract. I mean, I'm pretty sure there are templates out there. I don't know off the top of my head. I've never tried to, you know, make a, a hacker smart contract, but I mean, theoretically, you know, I'm sure you could find something out there somewhere. Yeah, for sure. So this one person commented on the Fed's marketing advertisement for CBDC. It says, when airdrop, sirs. (laughs) The the only token that's not going to do an airdrop. People are so funny. I just liked it. (laughs) When's oh, that yeah. Fed? When airdrop. As soon as they crash the dollar, the airdrop is coming, guys. Give us your wallet. 
Yeah. Oh my God. I love that. All right. But we are, we are coming up on, on the end here. I think we've been recording for a hot minute. I don't even know how to check how long, but it's been a hot minute. All right. Well, we hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. We'll be back with another episode, giving you all of the latest updates, the spicy NFT talk and anything else going on in the news of the crypto world. Yeah. And, and if you're still listening, we're going to, we're just going to assume you like live art right? I mean, you don't listen to this whole podcast if you don't. So I'm going to strongly encourage you to go on the secondary market, go on OpenSea or find a link on our website and pick up, pick yourself up a membership, right? Do yourself a favor, right? I mean, let's, let's just be real. There are some amazing benefits that you get as a member of, of the LiveRx DAO, right? You're the met, the benef, uh, the NFT memberships, they don't just get you the benefits themselves, but they've got like art tokens inside. I don't, I don't think I even mentioned that yet. Yeah, I don't know how. I forget sometimes. Yeah. But I mean, you got these tokens inside. It is amazing. And yeah, right? I mean, you just you can get physical fine art. I mean, elite art events, you know, exclusive NFT drops. I mean, this is stuff you don't you don't want to miss. You know, something that is actually really cool and kind of connects with like Web3 and the mission and everything, like as employees, right? Because we both we both work here, right? To be like fully transparent. We didn't, we had to enter the airdrop shuffle too. Like we like we didn't just get like free NFT memberships. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like you would think most companies, like that's how they would do it. Like I kind of like that we didn't. So I had to actually go on the secondary market myself and buy a level six because Let's be real. I need some elite art events in my life. That's who I am. Yeah, I was hoping to get a level six and I got a level one. And I was like, what's happening, guys? What's what's going on here? Oh, my God. Yeah, I think the one, uh, I actually won a level two, but I mean, it's just not enough. Mm-hmm. I need a level six. I need the best. Yeah. All right. Well, it was fun chatting with you, Michael. Until next time. Yeah, until next time. Thank you, Monica.